thankful for God, God's goodness. Today was an interesting day because Brother McAllister went to see his daughter, uh, Sister Brittany, and Brother Colby was working, and uh, a lot of the musicians were gone out of town, not here, and so some of the younger musicians stepped in and stepped up, and we're thankful for that. They did a great job. They did a great job. Amen. So we were talking about that we knew that that was going to happen last Sunday and we were sitting at the house discussing how we were going to handle service and so I said well we'll just make it a, a youth uh, generated service on Sunday morning and brother Peyton Bradford was sitting there and said so you're preaching and he said I'm going to be in Roatan Honduras preaching so I can't, I'm not going to be here so I looked across the table, and Brother Garrett was sitting there, and I said, okay, <laughs> Brother Garrett Pertel, you're preaching. And he didn't have anything to say. He wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> he, he was going to be here. No plans out of town. So uh, bullseye, gotcha. And not only that, we made him lead worship and song and direct all the, I mean, he home missions. It's been like, it's been like this. <laughs> It's been like home missions this morning, except for with a lot of people. Brother Baglin used to do a home mission skit, and he started quite a few churches, and so he would, his skit was he would preach, and then he would run out there, sit down, amen, amen, that, that's, that's awesome, pastor. And then he'd run back up and preach a little more, and then when it came time for the altar call, he was the one that came to the altar, oh, God, help me. And then he would stand up, and he'd pray for himself. He did all of it. And he had church. He said it was a powerful church. It was just him, though. It's just him. Praise God. Well, this morning we decided to give Brother Garrett Pertel a little taste of home missions, but with a lot of supportive people. You thankful for God's goodness? Ha, praise God. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. And some of you all are throwing me off. Brother Ray and Sister Terry Davis, what are you doing sitting over there? That's not where you normally sit. It's throwing me off. Praise God. You just want to move around, see what the folks are like over there in that section, if they're saved or not, or if they need help. Amen. Well, you're sitting beside a pretty, pretty fine young lady there in Sister Westbury, so you're okay. Amen. Reach out and pray for Chalet. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. God is good to us. Are you ready for preaching this morning? Hallelujah. If you are, let's stand to our feet. Amen. Let's praise the Lord as Brother Garrett Pertel comes this morning to preach the word of the Lord. God, we worship you. Why don't we just give God a little bit more praise? God, I worship you. God, I praise you, Jesus. I lift you up, God. I magnify your name. I glorify you. God, you are worthy, Jesus, and you are in the house this morning. Oh, God, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. God, I praise you. God, I praise you. God, I praise you. Praise the Lord, everybody. I'm grateful for the opportunity, um, and I'm grateful for a couple of other reasons. Pastor gave me enough time to take off my choir robe, so I didn't have to run out here in my choir robe. And I didn't have to take the offering. That was also in the discussions. Me running out, and as I'm singing, here we go. Um... I want to say thank you to my pastor for giving me the opportunity to preach. And I know we already said it, but the young musicians, um, they do a fantastic job. I know you guys don't always get to see it, so I'm going to 
represent the young people this morning. They do a fantastic job, and I tend to throw stuff on them on the last minute, and they always pull it out of their hat. And the, the singers as well, um, Sister Danielle, Brother Trent, and Brother Ian, thank you, and Brother Nick and Skyler. They're still young people, but thank you for helping me out. Um, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to turn to two passages. I'd like to turn to Exodus chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 18. And in that order, we're going to do it a little bit reverse this morning. In Exodus chapter 5 and verse number 1, we'll start there. It says, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. If you turn to Genesis chapter 18, We'll start with verse number one once again. And it says, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lift up his eyes and looked. And lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door. And he bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, capital L, it's God, my Lord, if now... I have found favor in thy sight. Pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched. And wash your feet. And rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on. For therefore are ye come to your servant. Therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, so do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah. He told her, make ready quickly three measures of meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran unto the herd, and he fetched a calf tender and good, and gave it to a young man, and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed, and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. If you would put your Bibles down, I'm wanting to talk about this title this morning, Out of Egypt. And at the tent door, out of Egypt and at the tent door, if you would help me pray. God, I pray that you would touch these lips of clay. God, I pray that you would give the burden from me, God, to a congregation, God, that is sensitive to you. God, I pray that you would touch every single one of us, that your anointing would be here. God, we need you in this place. I need you, God. I need you to use me, God, in Jesus' name. God, we worship you and we praise you. Jesus' name. You may be seated. <clears throat> So we read out of Exodus chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 18, and they are very important to what we'll be discussing this morning, um, but they are really there to be a backdrop and to help lay the groundwork for where we are going. Right before Exodus chapter 5, there is, or this is where the story of the liberation of the children of Israel would begin. In chapters 2, we, in chapter 2, we find a short synopsis of Moses' life. And, and the reality in this synopsis is the fact that Moses was taken in by Pharaoh's daughter. And he would use that position and he would take it upon himself and he would smite an Egyptian. 
he would kill a man and he would have to flee for his life. And he would flee from Pharaoh. But chapters 3 and 4 detail a conversation between Moses and God that has happened after this. Moses has moved on and, and when he killed the Egyptian, he was about 40 years old. And now he is 80 years old and he is a shepherd. And he is found on, on the backside of a desert next to a mountain named Horeb. And Horeb can mean desert or desolation or isolation. This is where Moses found himself in life. He no doubt felt that he had ruined his chances of possibly leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. He couldn't do it anymore through his strings that he could pull. He couldn't do it through diplomacy. He couldn't do it through politics or position. But he had to rely on God. And on the onset of this message, I would like to say that if you feel that you're in a desert and you feel like you're in a place of desolation, you may feel like you're in a desert place called Horeb and you feel deserted or isolated. You feel like the dreams and the things that God has given you, you have shoved your hands into and you've made a mess of things. Can I tell you that God is faithful? In Deuteronomy 31 and 6, it says, Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. He said, You can make your bed in hell, and I will be there. You could pick any place in the uttermost parts of the earth, and I would find you, and I will be with you. And just like Moses, God is in love with us. And God is asking for you this morning. Everybody say, me. He's asking for you. And he wants something from you this morning. He wants your attention. And that's exactly what he got from Moses. He got his attention. Moses is walking along, and he's a shepherd. He's got his flock with him, and he's in retirement age. He's 80. He's cruising along, and there's a burning bush. And if you'll bear with me this morning, I'm going to tell a lot of stories that are very much preached on, but if you'll just give me your attention for just a little bit. But there is a burning bush, and Moses walks by, and God speaks out of it, and he says, Moses, Moses. And this is important, because when God says something twice, we have to prick our ears up and pay attention, because God is wanting to do something. And Moses has this conversation, there's this dialogue, this exchange between Moses and God. And Moses, somewhere in the conversation, says, who am I? Who am I? They're gonna, you're going to use me, God? And, and God says, you don't need to worry about that. And Moses says, well, who am I going to tell everybody that sent me? And he said, you tell them that the I am that I am hath sent you. You tell them that the God, the creator of the universe, has stepped down and he spoke to you. And there's going to be some signs and wonders that come to pass. And I'm going to use you. And Moses continues to struggle within these chapters with the calling. And God finally gets angry with him and decides to use him in tandem with his brother Aaron. And now we are back to chapter 5. And as we read in our opening text, Moses and Aaron are speaking with Pharaoh. They are obediently delivering the message that God had given to them. Let my people go. And Pharaoh responds with, who is this God? Should I know him? And Pharaoh in Egypt is a nation that is polytheistic. They believe in many nations, in many nations, in many gods, excuse me. And we'll get into this, but Pharaoh is, is confused. Should I know who this God is? That I should obey him. And Pharaoh gives a resounding no and punishment is given. The children of Israel now have to find straw to make the bricks with. And on their way out, fellow Israelites slander Moses and Aaron. They're walking out and they're saying, thank you guys. 
really did us a solid. Now you're just making it harder on us. And now they have swords in their hands. They're ready. If we didn't already have a target on our back, we certainly do now. But Moses remembers who gave him the call in the first place. And God reaffirms Moses and he tells him, you need to go talk to Pharaoh again. And thus would begin the ten plagues. And with each plague, Pharaoh's heart becomes hardened with each time that he says no. The plagues have two purposes. The first is to answer the question of Pharaoh, who is this God? And ironically, Pharaoh asks the right question. Moses says, who am I? But Pharaoh says, who is this God? And God is going to answer by showing that the Egyptian gods were powerless, that they were fake. In the first plague, the Nile River is turned to blood. <clears throat> and it was a blow. The, the Hebrews had a word for the plague, or they had words surrounding what would be descriptive of the plagues, and they were described as a blow or a strike against every Egyptian god. God wanted to make it real clear for everybody else that there's only one that sits on the throne. And so there was, when he turns the Nile River into blood, it was a blow against the god of Num, who was thought to be the guardian of the Nile. But this plague proved he could not protect his territory. The god Hapi was supposedly the spirit of the Nile, and in this act was proven inferior to the god of the Hebrews. The god Osiris was thought to have the Nile running through his bloodstream, and in this plague, some would say that he truly bled. And there's this miraculous work, and he goes and he says, Pharaoh calls for Moses and Aaron and says, would you take it away? Would you do something about it? And as soon as they do something, in Exodus 7, 22, it says, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And in the second plague, the frogs come, and they were significant because they were sacred. You weren't supposed to kill them, and this would be against the Egyptian goddess of Paket. And God was going to, to work in this way. And all the magicians, this was interesting, all that they could do was bring on more frogs. That was very helpful, right? <laughs> Pharaoh's like, okay, do your thing. And they do their thing, and more frogs come. This is not helping us out, right? And so all the magicians could do was bring more frogs. And actually, in the first plague, they could turn, they would dig up, here's the Nile River, and it's turned to blood, and they would dig holes, and, and fresh water would come up, and they could turn that into blood. But the real miracle would have been if they could have reversed it, if they could have turned the Nile River back into clean water, or if they could have taken away the frogs. But only God could do it. And I'll say this, there's a lot of principalities and powers, things that we have to fight against, but I'll tell you right now, they can only bring more pain. They can't take away the pain. There's only one God that can do that. They can only bring upon more sin and upon more darkness, but there's only one that can take away and wash away every sin and bring some light to your life. And God wanted everybody to know who was the king, who was the real ruler. Pharaoh is viewed as this God. He would sit up in the temple and they would praise. They would build temples to their gods and he would sit up there with the gods, supposedly, right? And he would receive the worship and receive the praise. And God is, God is taking his time, but he's getting to him. And so he ple they, Pharaoh pleads with Moses and Aaron and in Exodus 8.15. But when he saw that there was respite, Pharaoh hardened his heart. The third plague would be lice. It would affect the Egyptian priesthood. They were very careful about how they were cleansed. Uh, they were very careful about their hygiene. And furthermore, God would attack the Egyptian sacrifices and the sacrificial system. They couldn't offer up, they couldn't offer up animals that were lice infested. And so even the magicians at this point acknowledge it was the finger of God. 
But Exodus 8.19 says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. The fourth plague would be flies. And this was an attack on the Egyptian god Kephri, who had the head of a fly, which would be somewhat interesting to see. And all the while, God is reaching for his people. He's reaching for his people through a Pharaoh, somebody that's not willing to let them go. And Pharaoh lies to Moses and Aaron, but in Exodus 8 and 37, he hardened his heart at this time also. Hathor would be the one that is the goddess of love and protection that would be attacked when the livestock would die in the fifth plague. And this was a turning point for two reasons. After this, human life would be touched. God has given, he's given mercy, and he's given time, and he's trying to allow Pharaoh I'm trying to help you out here. I don't want to do anything drastic. I'm willing to show my power. That's not any problem for me. But I'm trying to give you some time. And this is also significant for the second fact that God, from this point on, will further harden Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh had hardened his heart this whole time. It was his own decision. And he had made his own decisions and and disrupting the freedom that was supposed to be given to the Israelites. And God had given him many opportunities to bend to the will of God. But at some point, Psalms 81 and 12 says, and this is in the, uh, the New Living Translation, so I let, him, let them follow their own stubborn desires according to their own ideas. In Exodus 9 and 7, the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. The sixth plague, which would be boils, this is the first time that human lives are intact and endangered and it doesn't make any difference to Pharaoh. In Exodus 9 and 12, he hardens his heart. In the seventh plague, hell would come. And as each plague would go by, it would only show Pharaoh's ignorance, but it would show God's glory. Everything that he was trying to stop, and God is over here and he's chipping away at what society would believe are gods, what society would believe are important. And he's going down the line. And so... I'll just give references. Exodus 9, 27 through 34 is where Pharaoh would harden his heart. In the eighth plague, locust, Seth, who was the protector of crops, would be shown to be a phony. He was fake. He wasn't real because all crops were destroyed. The Bible says that nothing green was left. So at this point, the Nile River was turned to blood. Their water supply was taken away. He attacked things that were sacred to them. They couldn't sacrifice to their gods anymore. And then he brought in flies and livestock would die. Boils would touch their body. And hell that would come in the form of fire would touch down. And now everything that they would eat would be destroyed. And Pharaoh would give another false repentance. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And Moses would go out and he would petition God. And it would be over. And then the Lord would harden Pharaoh's heart. The ninth plague was darkness. And Ra, the sun god, would be the one that was attacked. And it was so much so, there was three days that it lasted. Darkness was felt. They would try and, and drum up some light, and they could do nothing. And somehow, through all the darkness, Moses would get a hold, or excuse me, Pharaoh would get a hold of Moses and Aaron, and he would bring them to him and say, you got to do something about this. But God hardens Pharaoh's heart once it is gone. And here we are, the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn. Pharaoh, it didn't have to be like this. We could have stopped at the frogs or the livestock. You could have stopped at the lice. You could have stopped at the flies. You could have stopped at the boils. You could have stopped at the hail. You could have stopped at the locusts or the darkness. But Pharaoh, he had one God that he held in high regard 
above all all others. And that was himself. That was himself. So why have I spent all this time reviewing a Bible story, like I said, that we probably all know, not to waste time. But if we're not careful, that we can have the mindset of a Pharaoh. And we can go by and we can live life and we can miss everything that God is trying to do. And there's stop signs and there's signs here and there's signs there and it's popping up, it's cropping up everywhere in your life and you're just walking on by. And we'll miss every opportunity that God has reaching for us. And God has to pull out all the stops, it seems. Every service, it seems like he's trying to pull out of his his bag of tricks and, and do whatever he can to get us to worship and to get us to praise. But I'll tell you, church, that the world of apostolics, the world as a whole, we don't need a bunch of superstar apostolics that have to be entertained. I'm not against new songs. We sing a new one this morning. And we sing fresh songs all the time. We have a great a great uh, music department. But what we need is a group of worshipers. We don't care what the song set is. We don't care if pastor's letting a young guy preach this morning. We don't care what the opportunity is. I've just come to worship God. I've just come to praise him. I don't care if I come in after work and I'm a little tired. I've just, I'm just here to praise him. And I'm here with you. I'm here to worship and I'm here to praise. I'm here to lift up the name of the Lord. I don't care if they sing my favorite song. I'm here to worship God. I don't care who's on deck to preach. I'm just here to worship God. I'm just here to preach with the preacher. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, I worship you. God, I worship you. Oh, hallelujah. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for somebody that is sensitive to him. And God is searching for another Moses. Moses, Moses. He stops everything that he's doing. He takes his shoes off and is pliable in the master's hands. He's got questions. We all do. He has doubts at first, as many of us do. But God is searching for a Moses, not somebody that he's got to run after to grab onto a Pharaoh. And, and he's looking for a Moses. He's looking for an Abraham. We read in Genesis chapter 18 about Abraham. And I'll read that real quick. Genesis chapter 18 and verse number 1 says, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. The tent door and sitting in the tent door is important for two reasons. Um, It was a cultural thing that the head of the household, the one that was important and many times because of the patriarchal society that they would be in, it would always be the man. He would be the head of the household, and he would sit at the tent door. And during the heat of the day, he would sit there for two reasons. Because there was blessing at the tent door, and because there was responsibility at the tent door. And if I could have the musicians come. There was blessing because in the heat of the day, the air would first rush through the beginning of the tent. It didn't matter if you were cooking in the back and it was hot and you're dealing with all these things, but if you were sitting at the tent door, you would feel the breeze come through. And there was blessing. And that's how it is when we live for God. There's just some things that when we live for God, there's just some blessings that are natural. They just occur. You just When you really live for God, I'm not talking about half in, half out, but when you really live for God, there's some blessings that really happen. And it's just a natural thing that when you walk down the road, I'm not saying everything's going to be perfect and that you're not going to have any bad days or that you're not going to struggle with anything. 
But I'm telling you that there's a favor of God at the tent door. And so the second reason was there was a responsibility for the head of the household. It was custom that they would sit there because if there was any passerbys, and we can't imagine this in our culture, at least I can't, just leaving the door open and waiting for somebody to walk on by and giving them some food and drink. But this is what it was for. There wasn't a necessity for strangers to knock at the door. There wasn't even a need for them to speak first. But all they had to do was stand till they were invited in. All they had to do was stand. And Abraham is sitting at the tent door. And he's waiting. I don't know if he knew. I doubt he knew that that God was going to be walking by that day. But he was just doing what he was supposed to do. And he's sitting at the tent door and he's receiving the blessing. And he's waiting on an opportunity to serve. And he lifts up his eyes and there's three men. And we later find in the chapter that these three men are God and two angels. And Abraham runs. He runs to meet them from the tent door. And if you can see the differences, God is running after Pharaoh, but Abraham is running towards God. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and he bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, Pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Here he is. Pharaoh, you've been running, but Abraham runs to God and he says, what can I do? What can I do? Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched. And wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Just sit under the tree, Jesus. Just just enjoy yourself. Let me do the serving for once. And I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on. For therefore are ye come to your servant. Oh man, many times we come to the house of God and we say, God, I found favor in your sight. If I found favor, God, then bless me with a job. And, And there's a lot of needs. I ask for God's favor all the time. I need it. But I'm saying that sometimes it does us well at our house to say, God, you come into my house. And we find out later that God is on his way to Sodom and Gomorrah. And the angels are passing by. They, they eat. And I guess I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Um, he says, for therefore, therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, so do as thou hast said. And Abraham himself, he hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, make ready quickly. Do this quick. Don't delay. Don't hesitate. You don't understand. God's out there waiting on us. Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal and knead it and make cakes upon the earth. And Abraham runs to the herd and he fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto a young man and he hasted to dress it and he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and he set it before them and he stood by them under the tree and they did eat. Abraham took it upon himself. He wanted to be the servant. He said, God, you've been serving me for so long. You've been taking care of me for so long. At this point, Abraham has well left the homeland where he was born, and he's out there by himself. It's him and Sarah, and he's sitting at the tent door, and he says, God, you've you've provided for me this whole time. Now let me do something for you. And as we stand, Abraham is running, and he's taking care of things, but he's spending time with God. He sets it 
he sets it in front of God and the two angels, and he lays a spread, and there they are. But Abraham doesn't just give it to God. Oh, man. Abraham doesn't just, just throw the spread at God's feet and, okay, God, I'll be back next week, and I'll, I'll just take care of it then. But Abraham waits on God. God, is there anything else? I've given you my best. And that's another thing. Abraham, it doesn't say anywhere in the scripture that he brought out the fine china. It didn't say that anywhere that he, they were even sitting on chairs, but they were sitting on the ground underneath a tree. If you think that your best is not good enough, God is just saying, that's all I want. <laughs> that's all I want. And so he's a servant. And I wonder if this morning, if, if we could pray that prayer, God, I want to be a servant. Abraham was, it's a cycle. He, there was blessing, there was responsibility. And furthermore, the last thing that I find is that there's an opportunity. An opportunity to do something, to serve. That's what Abraham did. And they get up and God is talking with Abraham. And the two men leave and they go to Sodom and Gomorrah. This was their primary objective. I don't care where God is going. I don't care what business he has to attend to. I want him to stop by my tent. God, I want you to stop by my morning prayer meetings. God, I want you to stop by my choir practices. God, I want you to stop by on midweek and Sunday morning and Sunday night. God, I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. And these men rose up from thence. In chapter 17, we're reading out of chapter 18. In chapter 17, there was confirmation. It had been a long time. Abraham and Sarah were very old. And there was still a promise that a child was going to be given. And God was going to bless him, make him the father of many nations. There was nothing that had happened. He had tried to get his hands in it and wound up messing some things up. So Ab the Lord is talking to Abraham and he says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And we know Sarah laughs. But here is the opportunity, or here is here's the blessing. He's eating with God and there's confirmation. He gave Abraham confirmation in chapter 17, but Abraham lays out the spread and God says, there's another blessing. And there's a blessing on top of the blessing. And there's confirmation. And when you serve God, there's revelation. And when you serve God, there's blessings and there's provision. And there's the responsibility. And in, this op in, in Abraham's life at this point, it was the opportunity to intercede. And he's standing with God and we know the story. Abraham is standing with God, what it must have been like to see the cities and standing next to God. And God says, I'm going to tell Abraham. And he tells Abraham and something rises up in Abraham. It was such a sweet prayer. He didn't pray that Lot and his family would be saved. He prayed for the city. We all have lost loved ones and we all have things that, that we have need of. But I'm telling you, we start praying for our city and you start praying for some other things and, and you start being selfless like Abraham and just laying out a spread. I'm just, God, I'll just sit at the tent door. God, I'll just do whatever you need me to do. And God will take care of those things. And, and we know how the story goes that Abraham would do this haggling thing with, with God and he would say 50 and he would eventually get down to 10. And God says, I'll, I won't destroy it for 10's sake. And Abraham really was given one of the biggest opportunities that we can give. And it is the cycle of being a servant. There is blessing. That's just how it works. 
when living for God. But there's a responsibility. And when we take on the responsibility and there's an opportunity to serve, and when we fulfill the opportunity to serve, God blesses us again. And it starts a cycle. And it starts a cycle. Servanthood is not always pretty. It's not always, Brother Jordan, it's wearing a suit on Sunday morning and all the T-Rocket kids scuffing up your shoes, right? It's not always super, super great in that regard. And, and T-Rocket is such a great example. I've had a lot of stuff messed up from that. But from, from kids just jumping on you. And, but being a servant is where it's at. Being a servant is where it's at. Abraham had a mindset that, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Pharaoh, God was constantly, I know he was reaching for his people, but he was constantly running after Pharaoh, and he's pulling out of his, his bag of tricks. And, and what's going to get his attention now? And, and, it, and it happens, and then he hardens his heart again, and it keeps going back and forth. I want to urge you this morning, don't miss out on the signs. Don't miss out on the opportunities. But God is willing to do something great, and he's willing to show mercy but we have to acknowledge the signs. I wonder if we could lift up our hands right now. God, I praise you. God, I want to be a servant. God, I don't want to miss the signs, Jesus. God, so I don't want to miss you, Jesus. God, but I want to find you in this place. God, let me be a servant for you, Jesus. So